0: Welcome to Twin Peaks The Return, a Season 3 podcast. On this episode, we'll be discussing Part 13 of the series. I'm Andy Hazel.
1: I'm Hayley Inch.
0: And this week, joining us is an extremely special guest, film critic, film festival enthusiast and writer for Screen International, Screen Daily, Metro Magazine, Concrete Playground and probably a whole lot of other places that I don't know about. It's Sarah Ward. Hello. Yay. Fantastic. I'm so glad you could join us.
2: I'm so pleased to be here and in the same city where it's freezing cold and, you know, talk about Twin Peaks.
0: But what have you made of the return so far? Because you were a noted enthusiast of the first two seasons.
2: Yes. So I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. I have a dog called Cooper. Um, and at the moment my husband won't let us get another dog called Dougie, hmm. um, which is, I just, <laughs> you've desperately... got plenty
1: of time to work for,
2: work for it. Yeah. We d- already have two dogs. He says we can't have a third one, <laughs> but, um, Why? I've been, I've been loving it. I've just been absolutely loving it. I can't watch it fast enough. I can't soak it in enough and I can't i'm just so enjoying going along with this journey that david lynch is taking us on i'm a little bit scared that we've only got five episodes left
1: yeah it's terrifying remembering that like we've been our glasses running out guys we've
2: been so spoiled Mm. Um, and because it has been over such a prolonged period of time you know we can't binge watch this we've been watching it you know one episode a week for you know the whole season runs through about four months it's going to be really heartbreaking when it ends.
0: Mm. Have you been getting involved in the discussions and analysis and the mushe on Reddit and Doug Parr and these other places where people just go on deep dives?
2: I have not. So that's the other thing I've been doing is I've been avoiding as much as I can all of the conversation about it, all of the chatter, all of the theories, all of the podcasts, the articles. I just want to soak it, what, it in as it is. And then once it's finished, I'm going to read and listen away. But at the moment, I just haven't really wanted a lot of other theories in my head. I've had conversations with people, and they're great, but I've avoided a whole lot of it. So right. you okay. can probably enlighten me.
0: <laughs> um, so what did you make of this episode? What story is that, Charlie?
2: I think that this episode, its there are moments in it where I exclaimed out loud. There are several moments in it where I did that. But it, it was one of those episodes that feels as though David Lynch is throwing a whole lot in but he's doing a lot with it and it is moving everything forward you know there there's a lot going on in this we are we're spending time with almost every group of characters other than the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department although we see Bobby and so we kind of get that anyway but there's a lot in it particularly when we have we spend a lot of time with Dougie and we spend a lot of time with Mr C or Evil Cooper or whatever you want to call him I really enjoyed it
0: Cool, okay. Yes,
1: we've been going with Doppelkoop,
0: by Doppelkoop. the way.
2: Doppelkoop, okay, <laughs> okay. I'm, I went with Mr. C because that's what Carmel Glocken was calling him and I went, okay, well, I'm going to follow your lead, but <laughs>
1: always a good choice. Yes, yes.
0: Excellent. Well, let's jump in.
1: What story is that, Charlie?
0: So we start in Las Vegas with a, what looks like a, um, a conga line um, of some extremely happy people, some showgirls, the Mitchum brothers, and a quite confused Dougie bringing up the rear. Uh, we had a really strange music cue on this one as well. It's like a hyper sped up piece of music that I'm as yet unable to identify. Do you guys I'd, know what it is?
1: I made a note. I'm not quite sure if this is 100% because I know that sometimes the, the song listings aren't done in order. But this is possibly a sped up adapted version of a theme from Swan Lake. It's not. It's not. not! Only because the bit <gasps> Gasp. from Swan Lake is. It's later, we, isn't it? It
2: is. It's when Sunny oh, Jim damn. is on the is playground. On the yeah.
1: playground.
0: Okay. Yes.
2: Yes. So, yes, I don't know what yeah, that was. Yeah, I first thought is, it was but, a sped up Bad
0: that had been used in season one or two, but I, I never was able to identify it in the last 24 hours since we Yeah, no, got, I, I definitely
1: made a note of the music because it was just so really bonkers (laughs) but so fitting to what was going on because it was all a very confused joyous and also in the uh Eyes of Tom Sizemore: are Very what the fuck moment. So, oh look, Tom Tom Sizemore, has he done anything better than this episode of Twin Peaks?
0: <laughs> um, that's debatable. I mean, he has an impressive resume, but this was some pretty compelling stuff. <laughs> Particularly because yeah. we get this conga line balanced with his complete terror at realizing what, how the, his fortune has turned. Because I did think, I did think we said at the end of part eleven, we we're like, he is doomed. There's no way he's going to make it out of this now. But it seems um, in the subsequent events that you might be able to get away with it. Uh, so, they all wind up in Bushnell Mullins' office and present him with uh, some very extravagant gifts. Um, I noticed Candy was basically acting like she was on a game show, which I presumably she might have seen while being living with the Mitchums. Um, and uh, he's really, really excited by presenting him with these uh, beautiful boxes of cufflinks, a box of Monte Cristo number two, and a car to match Dougie's BMW convertible um how do you make for this as an introduction because the tone was really quite unusual i thought for the return but it would have fitted in quite a beautifully in part t- in season two just <laughs> it, for the bonkersness of it
2: it was definitely one of i, I guess the more joyously bonkers parts that we've had of the, the return so far um particularly because so much of it has been you know it's been tense it, um it was nice to start off that way it then I think it sits really nicely in comparison to you know all of that time that we spend with Doppelcoop, which is obviously not joyous whatsoever and is incredibly tense. And it is you know that nice balance of these two entities that exist in the world that aren't Cooper but you know are Cooper.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. Um. So we get a scene then of Anthony Sinclair calling Mr. Todd and Mr. Todd giving him one last chance to sort this thing out, which I believe really, I think he's already been given one last chance before. Uh, and he knows what to do and Mr Todd is quite angry And it's kind of unusual Mr Todd I think is a fascinating um, Glue I suppose like For the various storylines and threads that are Slowly coming together
1: Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed his Very icy line of Well this is most unfortunate <laughs> He did deliver that very well Yes
0: he's quite good at delivery Roger, Roger get in here please <laughs> He's starting to express that tension um, and then we get a beautiful scene with the gym set being brought to the front door of the Joneses residence. And Jenny looks confused and then notices a new um, BMW in the driveway with a bow, bow on it. And then she gets a gym set up out the back. And I thought this was a beautiful shot of um, Naomi Watts, just her transition from surprise to joy to acceptance.
2: Oh, yeah. ab- Absolutely. And I think that the last couple of episodes, you know, going back to that episode where she's in the doctor's surgery and then she's in the kitchen and she realizes that hey Dougie you know it doesn't look like Dougie used to look like this transformation of this woman that's realizing that she's obviously hasn't enjoyed her life for quite some time you know she's been married to somebody they've had problems and all of that but all of a sudden realizing that you know things are nice she can enjoy things and and not quite knowing how to cope with that I think we're seeing a lot of that Naomi wants his face. Yeah, and... I
1: I love the transition of her face from to this really suspicious look to this kind of like joy that yeah, she didn't quite know what she was experiencing and whether it was okay to be happy about these strange gifts that had kind of just appeared, even though the car is clearly something that we know from previous episodes that she's long desired to have a nice car and her face kind of getting to a point of acceptance of oh, this is this is really happening. Acting <laughs> <laughs> she was so primed to yell at them And we know
2: she can yell at people with, with such beauty It's such a thing to behold those scenes But yeah, yeah, then to watch No, hey, I don't have to do this This is okay This is a good thing
1: um, Yeah, absolutely great work
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting That this is what brings her joy Is it like possessions and signs of wealth And signs of affluence
1: And comfort, I think I think Janie's a woman who hasn't felt comfortable In probably a very long time
0: Yes Because, yeah. you know
1: being, being in debt can make you feel extremely uncomfortable and not stable in your life at all.
0: Yeah, and she put a lot of effort into getting Dougie together and pro- presumably to previous version of Dougie as well. She had to put up with an awful lot. So to have this kind of gratitude shown, I suppose, in some sort of way is really kind of beautiful, I thought. Then we, we get the latest scene of the gym set being set up in the backyard.
1: It's a very ominous gym, a set, very gym set, guys. It's a very gym set. This <laughs> seems like not a good... This seems like no good juxtaposition of childhood joy and innocence. No. It seems like there's something <laughs> being cast over the top of this.
0: Well, the representation of the gym set is interesting because it's, it's something that the Mitchums have like decided is important and vital. But also Sunny Jim looks a little bit big for it, mm. despite it looking quite pretty with all the lights and the Swan Lake. And then the spotlight being um, moved over yeah. it. And that can only make me think of other times we've seen spotlights, and there's never been a very good <laughs> <laughs> result from those scenes.
2: Look, I think that... One of the things that strikes me the more time that we spend with the Jones family is that their story is probably not going to end up uh, up well if we ever are going to see actual Agent Cooper back again. And so we are getting to watch these characters, you know, particularly Janie E, enjoy her good fortune. But there is that kind of melancholy over it. And that's the gym set scene for me, kind of watching Sunny Jim. It's like, okay, you've got these moments now, but we have five episodes left and presumably – Something is going to happen That is going to disrupt this ideal That they're able to enjoy at the moment
0: Mm, Yeah, for sure And I also thought in the conversation That Janie E had later When she said, Dougie, when you didn't come home last night I thought the worst Sunny Jim is in seventh heaven And then Dougie repeats the word seventh heaven Which reminded me of Dr Amp saying Ninth circle of hell A couple of episodes Last episode Mm. Sorry, in part 12 Just before we cut to seeing Audrey for the first time Um, And then there's a kind of Nice little profession of love Which Dougie reciprocates in his way manner of reciprocation <laughs> by repeating the last thing he heard
2: i did wonder when Jane E said that she was worried about his whereabouts where the scene from last week with the baseball fits yes. in the timeline then because presumably he's been off with mitchin brothers since we last saw him with the mitchin brothers but then when was he at home playing catch <laughs> with his son particularly
1: because there was no jungle gym out in that back garden during yes. that baseball scene yes yeah. And you would expect when we were watching last week's episode, you would expect that that was in the timeline.
2: That's what came after him eating the pie with the Mitchum brothers, but it, it doesn't really seem to fit with what we're being told now. Yeah,
0: that's true. So I think this is another sign of they're being tonal editing rather than the narrative editing. Mm. That I, think, I think that scene, I think I remember saying last week that could have happened any time in the last ten episodes and they've decided to put it here for a tonal reasons rather than anything logical or to do with yeah, <laughs> to I, the Yeah, I, I
1: think paying too much attention to timelines is maybe no, not the wisest thing to well, do yes. I think they're playing a little bit fast and loose with it all.
0: Yes, there were weird theory fish about these timelines that's coming up later. Okay. Yes, it's going to be quite interesting. Um, and then we cut to the Las Vegas Police Department where the Fusco brothers are doing their Stooges-type repartee. Um, the Smiley Fusco brother, who with that funny laugh, I, th- he's, I think he's credited as a Smiley Fusco he's giving directions on the phone, and then it re- with the later reveal that it's hi- to his mother, um, and then Mum wants us to come for mum wants us to come for dinner this weekend. I hope there's no murders, <laughs> and then we get this really strange sound of some sort of violence and brutality happening in an adjacent room that they don't seem to respond to, which I thought was a really strange scene
2: it is a strange scene and then obviously we get the whole you know they can make that connection between agent cooper and dougie but they just dismiss it mm. they throw the piece of paper away the audience sits there and goes on so that's <laughs> not where the story is going because somebody has to make that connection at some point yes you think yeah. yeah
1: it's interesting that yeah we've been waiting for presumably someone to make that connection as soon as someone does they just you know it's not important.
0: It's well, not yeah, important. I mean, I think it's still going to be triggered the FBI at the other end of this investigation. They're still going to be like, what? Mm. Like, um, I think that the, these guys are just fairly useless and it may not have happened in the time that we were hoping it would happen. Anyway, we'll see. Um, I thought actually D- Detective Fusco, T. Fusco, is kind of like the candy of the three. Like, he's the one that is given the most responsibility and communicates the most mm. um, out of the others. You know, the others are kind of not really that active. Mm. I just thought there was an interesting parallel that I hadn't noticed before.
2: Mm. I can see
0: that. And another thing I also noticed was Bushnell Mullins has this, uh, this thing where he squeezes his fist together when he gets angry mm. and then twists it a little in exactly the same way that Lil did in Fire Walk With Me, mm. which makes me think that, oh, you know, because that, 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 signif- that uh, signifies you know, there's trouble with authority. or there's cr- And in, later in this episode we find there's corrupt policemen that are responsible for this, um, the source of pro- his problems with, with Dougie and with Anthony Sinclair.
1: Maybe Lil was also a boxer.
0: Oh, good call. Had not thought of that. <laughs> yep, totally possible. And so then we get uh, Anthony Sinclair going into coming into the police station and then going to meet with uh, Sergeant Clark, who is the corrupt policeman, to get some poison to sort out this Dougie problem as per Mister Todd's instructions. Uh, we get he gets a bit of a dressing down because he's obviously a bit not very good at, this, at carrying out these orders, and then he decides he gets told that he has to at nine thirty tonight go outside Crosby's at the back door. He'll be given some. Um, poison which he's going to use so this gives us the idea for the subsequent scene that night time has passed i'm grabbing onto any sort of potential idea of when when these things are happening because it does seem to be important i think in some scenes even if it's not quite the sequential narrative that we used to from other shows and also in the morning we get the uh, janie e driving dougie to work in the new bmw and she's he seems to be able to get out of the car with less assistance i noticed this time
2: yes he is he's functioning a little bit more maybe the cherry pie is
0: helping yes and then he walks into a glass door
1: Maybe it's not working quite as well. I, I did kind of think Jenny's clearly been enormously energised by the fact that she has this big fancy car and that life's going better for her and everything like Do you think, though, she's she's got to be in some level of denial by this point? I mean, she has to have been all along. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like more so now than she used to be. I feel like she was a lot more suspicious of Dougie, particularly when he first resurfaced. She was a lot more confused. She voiced her confusion a lot more of what's going on with you, where have you been, you know, all of that. Now it's just more she kind of just implicitly goes, oh, sometimes Dougie will be away. I'm worried. But oh, but all this stuff has come, and we feel a lot more comfortable, and we don't have so many problems anymore. So it's like she's kind of just letting it all wash over her and not worrying. Yeah, although so it's much. we
0: don't really know what he was like beforehand. Apart from he was manufactured to be mm. be this, this this you know body or this vessel, and so there may be behaviours that are that she's used to. Mm. Even though it does seem like a bit of a stretch, I don't know how you would wind up in a situation with a child with somebody like Dougie. Mm.
2: I think that part of it is that she just doesn't want to question it anymore because... Because no, it's just bringing good. Yes, and what if it goes away? Mm. Um, and and it is that, that look that we saw on her face when she's deciding, okay, I'm going to yell at these people. No, I don't need to yell at them. And when she's asking, okay, so, you know, we can keep this. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the attitude that she's accepting. We've we kind of seen from the moment that she realised, hey... You know, Dougie looks all right now, mm. um, that she's just willing to go along with it because things are nice, yeah. things are good. As you said, sure, he might go away and not come back, but when he comes back, they get a car.
0: Mm. Mm, true, yeah. Uh, did anyone else find that um, Kyle was playing – I feel like he got hurt <laughs> when he walked into this, into this glass door. I mean, it was obviously a lot of sound and stuff like that, but, mm. he, yeah, he's, he's, I was just, again, impressed by his acting and his willingness to sacrifice mm. for um, a convincing Dougie. Um, he's, assumed, he's guided into the building, though, and Anthony Sinclair kind of watches this whole thing unfold, buys him a coffee from Simon's, which...
1: Coffee? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, yeah, so Simon's is rapidly becoming the Starbucks of the return, from what I gather, given that it turned mm-hmm. up in part one and it's returned up here yeah, a, a few times. And uh, so when she goes, the waitress comes and brings him coffee, Dougie looks at the cup and then starts drinking it. His attention is drawn to the cherry pie. Did you notice the blackboard sign in there? No. I think Simon's famous cherry pie. Oh. So it made make me wonder if it was like a, there was somebody that be perching a sip from Norma's Double R Wholesale, perhaps. I don't know. Um, and during this time, Anthony Sinclair decides to put the poison in the coffee. Um, what do you make of this whole thing and Tom Sizemore's performance here?
2: I think that you feel his anxiety about what he's doing, but I think that he would have gone through with it if, if Dougie hadn't come and stood behind him. You know, it, like it's... It is an interesting performance in that we kind of see all that going through and we know that, you know, Anthony Sinclair, he's he's a spineless guy. He's doing what he's being told to do. If somebody catches him, he's going to break down crying. If somebody bosses him around, he's going to do what they're going to do. So we see part of that, you know, going across Tom Sizemore's face. But I think it's, for me, the best part of his performance in this episode is when he's breaking down. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Did anyone else expect Lodge residents to come to help in this situation?
1: Not really. I mean, I'm still getting over the fact that Dougie Coop saved himself from being murdered by being distracted by Dandroff. Mm. This show is fucking outrageous. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But that Dandroff was really noticeable early in the mm. earlier scene, I, saw, I, I thought too. Yeah, but I was so used to it every time his life is threatened an evolution of the arm will turn up or there'll be some sort of one arm man or something like that will save him.
2: When he was drawn towards the coffee shop, you know, in search of pie, I was kind of, you know, sitting there going, did I miss something? You know, and and then I went back and watching it like, no, there's no flicker. There's nothing that's actually motivating him to go over there. We're not seeing someone from the Black Lodge because you would, yeah, you do expect that.
0: Yeah. Mm. Because I think last episode it was all about paternalism.
1: Paternalism.
0: This episode is all about pie. Yeah. Pie's Absolutely. Because the pie was placed. calling him. It was. It was, mm. yeah, inevitably saving him. So I'm not quite sure what was the deal with the bit of was. I mean, it looked a bit like stars in space, which he fell through before. It could be some sort of pattern that he noticed.
1: Yeah. It's also just something, sometimes Dougie seems to be just drawn to things that he finds are a little bit unusual and he hasn't encountered them before and he kind of just wants to have a look.
0: Mm. Yeah, it was almost like he was literally playing um, Anthony mm. Sinclair, like a piano, I thought. Um, and then <laughs> S- Sinclair breaks down He goes to the urinal and throws the coffee away And a nice little performance from Mark Malone In The Man Next to Him <laughs> Mark Malone is in uh, a long time He's worked on a lot of projects with David Lynch he's, um was one of the cops who arrested the uh, Sex workers at the beginning of Firewalk Walk With Me With that mm-hmm. agitated mm-hmm. school bus he, ter- he turns up in these very small roles all over the place um, And I thought that was really nice That bad, huh? Sinclair comes back out and starts crying Then we get the great scene with Bushnell who gets very tense and does that. And it just shows the grace of Bushnell, I think, the way that he accepts him, decides not to turn him in and to be as bad as he was. I only want to die or change, which I thought was almost could have been a, a episode title. It was such a good line.
2: Um, it's a line that you... There's a lot of characters, I think, in The Return that could voice that sentiment. And
0: Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it's a good point. And so he said so, he wants to make things right again and then Dougie does this beautiful little repetition of the word confess, <laughs> which becomes a <laughs> malevolent. <laughs> it was interpreted like as a, almost like a threat. It was nice. And then he knows about the cops too. Yes, and then Bushnell does his fist-twisting thing. Any other thoughts on Las Vegas before you leave it for Western Montana? Montana. Montana, sorry, So's. as in uh-huh.
1: Hannah Montana. Yes. Wow.
0: Okay, so then we wind up in the warehouse, which is later credited as the farm, although I was completely confused because I thought the farm was the farm that we saw a few episodes ago where we, we saw Hutch and Chantel.
1: I'm sure there's multiple nefarious farms, mm. you know, out
0: there. Yes, so so a GPU drives in, Double Coop gets out, Ray is watching this on the most ginormous security screen I've ever seen in my life.
2: Screens like that do not exist. <laughs> no, I, was, I was just sit in there and I think that we're supposed to be sitting there watching it going, yeah. okay, like what is unless this? Unless
1: they've on it, like... And they've that's, just decided, yeah. well, we're we going to keep it. Yeah. We're yeah. I feel like that's the... Next. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only sensible. It, it definitely wouldn't be the Lynchian reason why they would have a
0: No. But important things happen on the screen before mm. we get out of Western Montana. Um, Ray's watching the screen. Fuck, I killed that guy.
1: You didn't t- kill him too good, Ray.
0: Yes. It says Renzo, who's an authority in this scenario, is, um, explained very quickly by his um, physical presence. Ray really wants to kill him, but then Renzo says, no, we want to have some fun first, which we all know straight away is not going to end very well for anybody.
1: You don't have fun with doppelgoop.
0: No. Also,
2: why would you... Like, if you were Ray, I know that Renzo is his boss, but... He ju- he, genuinely thinks he killed this guy, and then all of a sudden he's standing there in front of him and your, your boss is saying, well, we'll have some fun with him. Wouldn't you be like, mm, that's not a great idea.
0: <laughs> like, this guy was dead. One of the world's slowest goods lifts brings Doppelkoop <laughs> up to where, where everybody else is. Um, and then a lot of uh, well-armed men who I thought were a really interesting mix of faces. Some of them are vaguely familiar and others just look like they were probably... Friends of David Lynch or Joanna um, Ray. So they decide to have a, the arm wrestle showdown, which has been the focus of a lot of people's attention. I've noticed in reviews of this particular part, they tend to talk about how well this is staged. What did you make of this? Did you feel the, the hyper masculine threat threat throughout the uh, scene?
1: I'm going to be contrary, as I often am. Um, I wasn't terribly jazzed with this scene. I felt it went on for a very, very long time. I was very much only interested in it in terms of how. was reacting to things it's always very intriguing and telling to see how doppelkoop reacts to these sort of situations particularly when he's being threatened because i think we've all learned now you don't threaten doppelkoop because Mm. he's always several steps ahead of everyone but i feel like yeah the, the real kernel of this scene that i was actually interested in only kind of happens at the end when he's interrogating ray and you find out that Ray was sent to kill Doppelkoop by Philip Jeffries or very tellingly the line, at least that's the name he gives. So now we all have this, you know, is Philip Jeffries actually Philip Jeffries or is it someone posing as him, which I think is a very interesting nugget for us all to run around with and the creepy accountant yes i enjoyed Mm. the creepy accountant
2: did he need any money well i guess that is the question you ask the new boss after Mm. he has just killed two people in front of you but
1: Mm. just make sure he has everything he needs you're in charge of money you ask him if he needs money
0: yeah so i thought the um the way that this uh arm wrestling competition i suppose played out was 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 pretty revealing uh, the way the, the uh, starting position, the way that this was kind of used as is it for this comic relief, because we hadn't seen Doppelkoop for a couple of weeks now, it's been mm-hmm. quite a while since we were last with him. So it was interesting to note that his skin tone seems to be changing. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm not sure. Is what he
2: seem more tanned. He's yes. more tanned, isn't and he? and particularly when he did have his hand yes. on Renzo's hand, and that's when you know, I noticed because he has always looked tanned, and Renzo, you know, is is quite fair skinned, but it was very noticeable then when you know, they're grappling.
0: Yeah. yeah, but his face looks quite a different colour to his hand. I thought.
2: Yes, yes, it does.
0: Yeah, it's quite strange. There was an interesting couple of put downs: kindergarten and nursery school. It was kind of a strange turn of phrase. So the stakes are you if you win you're our boss if I don't you get killed and of course it ends up becoming this very very interesting showdown on with Ray and and Doppelcoop. So he shoots Ray in the leg I think and then uh, we get the reveal we get the killing of Ray we get the, the return of the ring that was really really interesting I thought I was very glad to see that again and I like how it, it, uh, instead of having to deal with the body you just put a ring on it and it vanishes yeah, and then gone, the actually. one-armed man presumably takes care of everything. Topalcoat gets the coordinates and he also finds out that Philip Jeffries was last seen in a place called the Dutchman's.
1: More he past- knows what it is. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, maybe
2: one day we will too. Uh, look, my heart skips a beat every time they, meet, they mention Philip Jeffries just because I know we can't see Philip Jeffries unless they use old footage. You know, I, I trust that the cast list that they've released was all accurate and we're not going to get a random David Bowie it's signing. It's not
0: stopping people from talking about I,
2: it. I, I, look, I, it doesn't surprise me. And a couple of episodes when Moby was in the band on stage and he wasn't in the original cast list and so my mind was going okay well maybe but I, I am just trying to find a way to have hope that David Bowie is going to show up in this but I'm just really interested to see how Philip Jeffries like what role how they can actually bring him into it because he's very pivotal to the, the Doppelkoop storyline but you can also see Lynch being able to work around just not having him as mm-hmm. you know in front of us. Yeah
0: having a disembodied voice mm-hmm. which yes. we've had, had a couple of times already.
1: Mm-hmm or someone who's posing as Philip Jeffries, and it's an entirely new actor altogether. Who knows? Yeah, do you have any
0: thoughts on who the guard was who, got, who passed the ring to Ray when he got out of the cell? In hmm. I don't know. <laughs> do I? I'm intrigued as to if it was somebody who was just arranged by Philip Jeffries, or if this actually may have been Philip Jeffries himself. Hard to know. Any other thoughts before we leave there? We got a throwaway scene which, again, could have come at some point with uh, uh, Chantel and Hutch We're talking in Utah. about Mormons. Yeah. Outside
1: Provo, mm. I've been
0: there. Have you? I
1: have. Oh, yes. is there a film festival there? Uh, yes, you go on, on your way to Park City
0: of course. through Provo. Oh, mm. Yes, Sundance for those who aren't on board. Emily, Chantel is eating corn snacks, so I thought it was an interesting... She's always
1: eating She's corn always snacks. She's always eating corn snacks yeah. and
0: we didn't really learn anything we didn't already know about Mormons.
1: No, but I enjoyed their scattershot lesson
0: on Mormons. <laughs> As they...
1: they were enjoying their conversation.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. So nice, nice functional couple, um, presumably on their way to Las Vegas to take care of the second half of their assignment. And so the rest of the part pretty much plays out in Twin Peaks. Uh, we get a beautiful cut to the double R with Shelley and Becky on the phone. Now, this scene presumably takes place two or potentially three episodes ago before the shootout. Because Becky's on the phone, she's she's upset, she doesn't know where Stephen is. It's not the sort of thing you would do after you just shot holes in the door of a girl who you assumed he was cheating on you with. But um, straight away, Cherry Pie sorts out these problems. Mm,
1: Yes, I did like the great cut from Dougie Has Saved himself via cherry pie and then we just get the nice reiteration of the double r diners pie is obviously the best
2: mm. only if it's made with the right ingredients
1: only oh, if it's made with the so right key. ingredients oh. and even becky knows in the you know height of her distress that pie fixes all problems but i i do feel as though that You know, Lynch and Frost are kind of sitting there. We've had
2: so much pie in in such a short couple of episodes. And after, you know, you couldn't – even though I've been trying to avoid so much conversation about it, you couldn't avoid – the fact that the, fir- the beginning of this season and, you know, even something like episode eight, there's so much reaction to it that this is not the Twin Peaks that we know and love and then all of a sudden we're just getting this, you know, wonderful pie scene or the fact that, you know, with Dougie and the pie in this episode, he gets pie and coffee. Mm-hmm. He gets them both together. You know, we're, we're getting all, he's ticking all of these boxes yeah. that all the fans want but it's still not, you know, the Twin Peaks that we used to know and love.
0: Do you feel like pie is the inverse of gum and Bozia?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think
0: like the food for the White Lodge.
2: <laughs> it seems to be the f- the food that gives everybody comfort, um, that you know everybody enjoys eating, that you know makes situations better.
0: Then we uh, get a shot of Bobby walking in, and we can finally get Big Ed. Big
1: Ed, oh, finally. Yes, <laughs> one of the last key
0: cast members we oh. have not yet seen.
1: I must admit, it's, it is still really weird being happy to see Bobby when he shows up. Mm -hmm. Just like, yeah, Bobby! And then there's a part of you that is just like, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) But I I, I love it. I do love it. I love that. I mean, I think two of the amazing
2: things that they've done with this season is to make us absolutely thrilled with the fact that we we don't have agent dale cooper because we love dougie and you know we want to spend more time with dougie but also the transformation of bobby who you know in the first two seasons and in firewalk with me it's not somebody that you were excited to see on screen no um, Dana i hated Ashbrook him <laughs> has he has such a charisma as a character yeah. even back then in that he was very magnetic mm. but you know he was a scumbag he wasn't good to laura he wasn't good to shelly it was just you know bad things happened around him and now my my heart just like feels for him every time I see him particularly what we've learnt about you know the briggs's home life and that you know he's obviously no longer with Shelley. It's you're right, like you get excited to see him. It was just nice. Like. Yeah
0: I'm really hoping he's a bookhouse boy. I'm assuming yes. Bookhouse Boy still exists because yes. he and Ed seem to have put their differences aside. It's a long way from Mr Monkey Wrench.
2: Oh absolutely um yes now I hope so too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what's new deputy? And then, we, you know, we found some stuff that my dad left today. So we've had sideways parallel timelines, and it's not successive. Um, so, yeah, this is like throwing things around quite in a in, in really interesting way. But, and it's also something that they're obviously making a real point for us to notice, is that people keep talking about things that happened today, or Steve's been, Steve's been missing for two days. People are always talking about time. Um, and now we also get the like the, the big reveal f- after this short conversation, why Norma has been doing the accounts for so long.
1: It's because she's looking after five diners. Yeah. She's a successful businesswoman. Without woman. even a computer. Yeah, I know. It's great. Like, it what a woman. We, we've seen what David Lynch thinks of computers and they're amazing. But, <laughs> but they've got be the integrated. I don't think it would fit in very well at the Double up. <laughs> yeah. She needs a big wooden desk she can integrate it into That would be so <laughs> yeah. good And it just pops up out out of the table It's so good
2: <laughs> And look, um, she does get to spend a whole lot of time sitting down Which I guess as an actress, you know, why not? Mm, yeah, exactly. yeah.
0: yeah, and she keeps an eye on everything Pull matriarch moves And then a guy called Walter Lawford walks in And he arrests Norma's attention Which was previously on Ed And the guy who plays Walter is a guy called Grant Goodeve Have you guys seen him before? No, okay, no. he's an actor in um, Northern Exposure.
1: Oh, <gasps> okay. And he
0: straight away starts talking about inferior knockoffs mm. in a way that made yes. me go the meta okay. clanks and oh. was just going constantly throughout this entire scene.
1: I've been meaning to rewatch watch Northern Exposure actually because that was actually the show that I was allowed to watch as um. a kid when Twin Peaks was oh, screening because, right. of course, I was far too young to watch Twin Peaks. But I definitely watched Northern Exposure and Due South. So okay. oh, I've, I've, I watch both the knockoffs um, Right No, I okay. watched Northern
2: yeah. Exposure I didn't watch Jeez, how
1: But <laughs> yes, it is Andy, it's about a Mountie and Oh, really? <laughs> yes, it's like a it
0: Canadian is. is it full of Canadian stereotypes? Yes Yes. Right Okay, um, so there was a very similar dynamic to the, time, to the time that Hank's parole agent Came into the double R in season one And talked to Norma And that kind of made this whole Coming onto her thing I can't remember that guy's name, but he was all I bet you get all sorts of guys making moves on here. Oh, yeah, I remember
1: that. Yeah. I can't remember his name
0: either. No. Yeah, anyway, he was not around for long. And I'm hoping that Walter won't be around for long because he's a bit...
1: (laughs) But he's her business partner, clearly. Well, yeah, he's kind of... Or a more? business advisor or something, or more. That's the thing. I kind of made the note. I was just kind yeah. of like, is there something well, more going on here? Because he's very familiar with her. And the
2: way that she, she greets him more enthusiastically than you would think mm. it would just be a normal business relationship. Now, having dinner together afterwards, and, you know, that almost their entire scene, we see Ed sat in the booth with Bobby back in the corner looking very, very unhappy. Mm. Yeah. And
1: I feel like it would give a lot more melancholic context to the end credits scene as yes. well. Mm. Yes. So,
2: you know, he's clearly things haven't worked out the way that we had all hoped that they would mm. like that. That scene when my husband was watching it in Brisbane last night, he was texting me going, I hate this guy. Like just immediately <laughs> because he's clearly come in between. Ed Norma.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, same. I was not a fan. And nobody but I wasn't really a fan of what he was saying either. I mean, like, great, I'm glad the shop's franchises are doing well, but then not, not charging enough per pie.
1: No, you can't raise the price of pie. Don't make Norma compromise on her diner
0: vision. Yeah, she um, doesn't want to put her name in the double R.
1: No, not the original. Her name's on all the other diners. She's fine with that. But the double yeah. R is an original.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of nice knowing she's a face of a franchise in mm. a way. like <laughs>
1: you know. I, Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did like, from his spiel, I did like the fact that he was like, the focus groups really responded to you and you being, you know. Yeah,
0: and him pulling out a, a, a handy iPad and sh- showing off mm. the or tablet of some sort. It was interesting to get some econo- some more economic background.
1: Interesting, yes, what, yes. How
0: depressed this part of the, the country I has been. I feel like
1: they've just been very clever all the way through and how they've kind of threaded this, you know, it being very textual and then very subtextual as well this is a very political text the return
0: love In... doesn't always turn a profit no yeah yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt. yes you're right it has been a very <laughs> political text surprisingly so i think yeah so i felt like that was a lynch frost conversation with showtime that was just turned into a conversation about pies <laughs> but maybe that's just me and we get a beautiful shot of the Run Silent Run Drapes shop front.
1: Oh, yes. It's such a beautiful set.
0: Isn't it? Isn't, Isn't it beautifully it blocked, this whole scene? Yeah. With the, yeah, with the, the continual so drapes. So carefully
1: done, yeah.
0: Mm. And as well as having as one of the in – a, in a show that was, had quite a lot of laughs, I think the funniest line came within the conversation between um, Dr. Jacoby and Nadine. Um, Last time I saw you on your hands and knees looking for a potato. <laughs> It's very
1: efficient, a percolator, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call.
2: <laughs> and you can just picture it. Like, we've just seen Nadine, not in The Return, but in the original seasons, scrambling around so much. Her performances were always so physical, but yes. particularly when she had, you know, that super strength, which we're guessing these days she's fine. But. Yeah, it was just that picture in your head and then the idea of these characters coming together, which kind of seems perfect to me. Mm.
0: Like, yeah, yeah, another successful businesswoman. Yes.
1: Yeah, I know. I find it interesting that they haven't seen each other, uh, uh, Dr. Jacoby says, for years. So clearly Nadine's just quietly on her own, just become a fan of the whole Dr. Amp thing and has just been immersing herself in a, in a way that Jacoby clearly didn't know about. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I was surprised to see him, though, because I think in the other scenes with him, we, we kind of get this idea that he is quite isolated, like people mm. have come to him, but he orders stuff in. And so it was, you know, al- almost through me, I was like, OK, we're seeing him outside of the, the only space mm. we've seen him this time. And so maybe that's why mm. he hasn't seen her five years. Maybe he has kind of retreated to there. But mm. yeah, in a, a place that, I mean, Twin Peaks is bigger than what we, it was. Yes, yeah. and it's bigger than what we always think it is in our head, but yeah, it just seemed. I'm right. You're right. It did seem odd.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking he doesn't come down from the mountain very often. No. But it's also very nice to see Nadine not yes. in, just in front of the computer and actually see her interacting with people. It was mm. the first time we've seen that for a while.
1: It's kind of a nice scene in a way because it, I think it was the one most reminiscent of of the original series. Is and mm. it? it was kind of nice seeing these characters interact. It seemed like they were almost surprised that they were interacting and. Yeah, there was definitely an interesting vibe going on yeah, between
0: and, them. And we learned about the storm from seven years ago in this conversation mm. too, which I'm figuring is going to turn up in the final dossier mm. as being some sort of important moment that we should know about. Um, and, yeah, she promises to be a loyal foot soldier, which I thought was an interesting turn of <laughs> phrase again <laughs> um, in Dr. Amp's war. Um, and so then we can move to Sarah Palmer in a very, very interesting scene mm. that will come up in Theory Fish. Um, she's watching an old box, boxing match. My initial thought, because the scene started with that footage, was like, oh, we're getting a shot of Bushnell.
1: That's
2: what I thought no. as well.
1: But no, apparently I have been keeping tabs on this with people's online uh, scurrying about. Uh, people who have watched it multiple, multiple times says that there is no indication that it is actually Bushnell. So I'm sure we could pull the bow and say "Yep." probably is if we feel like it but Mm. i feel though if it
2: was like i was waiting watching that scene for them to point it out Mm. that there would have been more of an indication that it was rather than us just sitting there and speculating and choosing to believe particularly
1: because they've been a lot more blatant about their dropping of information Mm. lately Mm. you know things have been very pointed and things have been very obvious
0: yep yeah, Every ashtray is full. Oh, vodka bottles are almost empty. It's, I noticed it was a different brand to the one she got last week, which I'm pretty sure was Smirnoff. This one looks like a cheaper brand, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, are we looking at her before she was in the supermarket?
0: That's the thing. That's mm. what I'm thinking. It's the night before, maybe. Um, then there's, there's that strange electronic buzz sound that triggers the looping of the video and audio of the boxing match that she's watching. I'm not sure if she either registers this or not. It's kind of hard to tell because she's presumably... Um, numbed a bit by the vodka and, and let's face her diet isn't great mm. she's not going to be getting much protein from that Bloody Mary mix um, then she leaves the room for the kitchen and then comes back and then we don't hear any more sounds and I don't know about you but I noticed the I was looking at the mirrors going oh my goodness, is there something in the background is there something going on here which I thought were owl shaped the mirrors behind her
1: okay
0: kind of like wing shaped mm. and then a, I'm just probably overthinking it.
1: My my thing with this scene that really gave me chills was the fact that obviously that that weird electrical loop with the television was so noticeable and so jolting, and but Sarah didn't seem to notice or care about it at all, and I found that just really that kind of hit me. Either that, or a lot. she's really used to
0: it. Yeah
2: so it reminded me a lot of when we saw johnny horn's bear um you know repeating mm. that same phrase again but i felt that as though a lot of the in- of things that were happening in this episodes were repeats or were you know we were getting a lot of throwbacks to things that we've seen before and we'd seen dougie with pie before but we're seeing it again now We're even the kind of the way that then within the episode we get the two pie parts, there was just so much about it in different parts that just felt as though the, the, the Mitchums. There, it felt as though lots of echoes in this that he is very purposely kind of giving us these two different reference points to a lot of different things going on.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, also the drapes, Nadine's drapes are moving mm-hmm. in a loop. There's all sorts of loops you want to start looking. Um, also in the room, there was a it was a bowl towards the front of the screen, um, which was either Garmin Bosia or it was mac and cheese or something that was that particular colour. Yes, and
2: look at
1: that texture. Someone yeah. said creamed corn yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't know if it's I'm meant to sure. evoke
0: that <laughs> because it's a different consistency to the creamed corn we've seen before, but it may just be very old creamed corn that's collagulated and slightly different. I don't know. I just think it was there just to make us think, oh, yeah, pain and suffering in case we went thinking enough I did that enough.
2: spot in the background of you know a very brief glimpse of Donna in one of the photo frames which um, I had Donna very much in my mind later in the episode, as I'm sure um, everybody did. but And that was, again, one of those echoes where i spotted it at the time, but then when we get to James and it's kind of like, okay, well, that mm. photo's there for a reason. Obviously there would be photos throughout the Palmer household of Laura and Donna, but I can't remember spotting one previously. Mm.
1: Yeah, Because that's the thing. I can't imagine the decorations around the house have changed much no, no. But since I, then.
2: I can't imagine that Lynch would put a lot in there with Lara Flynn Boyle unless it had to serve a
0: purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, so I think what what I took from this scene... Oh, actually, also there was a, some rabbits.
2: I yes, I noticed the rabbits in front of the television. Yeah.
0: And also an empty day-of-the-week pill capsule container, which was slightly out of focus when we got some shots of the boxing match. Um, so there's something weird happening with electricity here. So there's, like, an oversupply of electricity. There's, like, a, it's an extremely charged environment that I'm sure is going to play out in some sort of way later on. And then we go to Audrey's house. And we can get a, a kind of continuation of a scene, judging by the dress and the way she's still talking about going to the roadhouse. That's a, either it's in a different room, but a continuation of the scene we saw in the last week.
2: With, yes, Audrey, not seeming right whatsoever. I did realise that we didn't mention um, when we were in West Montana with um, Double Coop and seeing Richard. Yes, watching. sorry, I've
0: completely forgot to mention. Yes. Richard. oh what? Richard watched, walking towards where? the screen. Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah, so when? when he's in the room with Ray and the rest oh. of them are watching the screen, and yes, we see Richard down there watching as well. R- yeah,
0: Richard walks through the men that are watching the screen to stand right at the oh, front. I
2: completely missed this. Yeah, that's yeah. um. That's um, I mean, we cool. don't see him for long, but yes, him and Doppelcoop in in
1: the same place. What is he doing in West Montana?
0: Well, yeah, this is an interesting one. I'm thinking that he's doesn't doesn't like Red. He wants to kind of usurp Red, because he's basically completely agitated, driven, has like acts without fear, although he's extremely terrified. So I think he would think in his sparkle-induced madness that he could take on Red and replace him as being the boss of of Twin Peaks. And this is he should he'll just go to the source.
2: Yeah, I think that sounds that sounds very legit. Yeah, as logical as Richard Horn
0: could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he was wearing the same clothes. He was driving it makes sense that he drove to Montana Montana. Yeah, so sorry, sorry, yes. Well good pickup and apologies for missing that earlier. Um, what did she say, Charlie? Audrey, we've been over this. Audrey, stop it. Audrey begins in a fairly distressed state and it only gets more distressed as the conversation continues. I feel like I'm somewhere else. Have you ever had that feeling, Charlie? No. Like I'm somewhere else, like I'm somebody else. Have you ever felt that? No, I always feel like myself. And it may or not always be the best feeling. Well, I'm not sure who I am, but I'm not me. Oh so, nice. I, whoa. Yeah, okay.
1: the, 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 that was the point where I needed to pause a bit because that was pretty... Oh. Yeah,
0: so there's like about 90% of theories just go out the window in this scenario and then another other theories get a lot more weight put behind them.
1: Um, The, intro, the theory that I found most interesting in context to what's going on with audrey is it's seen it's been floated that charlie may possibly be some kind of therapist just from the way he speaks he's the way he speaks and the measured way in which he speaks and particular phrases that he use is very therapist there are ideas flowing around that he could have possibly been audrey's therapist before they got married for whatever reason and is possibly still continuing her treatment or things like that okay. um yeah it's it, it's kind of one that i've yeah i'm, I'm not sure if it's 100 percent, but it's something that kind of makes sense to me in context of what's going on i don't know how anyone else mm, feels. it was about our theory it.
0: fish last week yeah that one where she, he was sitting at the top of some stairs he wasn't letting her leave there was all mm. sorts of strange and very loaded um Furniture. Language yeah, and language. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> language and furniture and things like that. Yeah, and like the fact she
0: wasn't moving. Mm. Yeah, they gave all, all sorts of um, – rise to all sorts of theories. And then Charlie answers, with well, this is existentialism 101. Yeah, astonishingly patronising but also like, lol. <laughs> meta mm. Metaclaxon goes off again. And then they, of course, only make Audrey more agitated – um, and then he starts saying, "You know, you look, act like you're on drugs." And then he has to remind her that she was going to go to the roadhouse to see Billy, which is this thing that kind of is nuking a lot of these theories. Is that it keeps she can't? Is she in a, if she's in a coma? How is she knowing about the roadhouse oh, and Billy? Oh, I didn't
2: know about the coma theory.
0: Well, that's yeah. that's so a So bi-
2: the idea that she's still in a coma from the bank. Exactly. Okay. Right. So
0: yeah, that's that was a, that was a mm. leading theory last week, and this mm. week, it's, a lot of people are still on board with it too. Okay. Mm. And there's another theory that she's actually in a hospital, overhearing conversations and integrating that into this world Mind Palace, I suppose. I mean, it, Audrey Mind Palace may well look like – sorry, I'm just using a Sherlock term, I'm not sure if you've all watched yes, Sherlock. yeah. yes. So basically if you if you can imagine Audrey Mind Palace, it's possibly like this where you get a 1930s massive wireless that you know, looks really beautiful. You get Charlie using paper, not, not technology, to be able to do whatever job he's doing. Last week I was thinking he was the editor of the Twin Peaks Gazette and she was mayor. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, okay. that's not my working theory at the moment. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it, we have to get a lot of beautiful furniture, but it's also very dated. It's very, of a very specific time, including the outfit that people are wearing. Like Charlie's suit kind of looks more like something out of a 1930s movie.
2: The furniture does look as though it's, it's inherited furniture. It's a, it's a house. It's come with a house. It's something that they haven't gone out and chosen themselves.
0: Mm. So another th- idea is that she might be in a room at the Great Northern that they've kind of left her in because she's she's like either uh, has some sort of brain damage from the co- from being in a coma after the bank vault because we know from the secret history of Twin Peaks book that she was in a coma mm. and she survived yeah. the bank vault blast so this is possibly a, like a way that she's experiencing reality now and she has this permanent carer who is Charlie because mm. it is a contract based arrangement it, we thought it was a loveless marriage but now who knows like you were saying this therapist dynamic seems to be playing out. Partway through the, the next um, encounter, we get the, the one of the most amazing and, and sad lines, which is like, um, are you going to stop playing James or do I have to end your story too? Which I heard as, do you want me to end story too? And I noticed a few other people online heard this as well, but, the, but going with the subtitles, it's have to end your story too.
1: Mm. Any ideas? I struggled a lot with this scene because it kind of... It kind of just lined up one by one all of the things I'd kind of been dreading were going to be part of Audrey's storyline in that she's kind of just become another of Twin Peaks's traumatised women where something unspeakable has clearly happened to her that she's still grappling with and has a lot of emotions about and doesn't quite know how to process and is just carrying around with her and... Yeah, I I think the sad thing about the choice of having this kind of storyline for Audrey, and that's even without playing in the the worst theory, as I've been calling it, Mm. the fact that Richard is her son as a result of her being raped by Doppelkoop when he visited her in the hospital before leaving town, it indicates that the world of Twin Peaks is clearly so oppressive towards women and so crushing upon them that even the strongest of women find themselves devoured and crushed by it. There's no escaping it, even if you try to play the game. And Audrey was always the best out of anyone at playing the game of trying to just get through what could be really horrific experiences. And I don't know, it's just this really... It's this really sad slap in the face, which does fit in entirely with the entire tone of the return. But it's this feeling of you're just going to get used and abused and your trauma is always going to catch up with you and it's always going to end up happening and you're not going to be able to escape it. And I think it's I know it's personally hard for me to see Audrey go through this and to see her be so distressed and so clearly Grappling with something horrible that we don't have a proper understanding of what's actually happened yet, it's difficult. I yeah. don't like seeing it at all. And that's not to detract from Sharon Fenn's performance, which I think is fantastic. I think she's really, she's really grabbing hold of this material and she's giving it, like, complete what for. I, I love how she is expressing audrey through the material as as a performer but i really hate that this is kind this is obviously the direction that we're going in Mm, i find it yeah it's
0: a lot do you have any theory audrey theories
2: My theory about what could be going on with Audrey kind of ties in with secret history and the discrepancies that we have there. And so that line in this episode about how she doesn't feel like herself is just – it's always – the discrepancies in the book, they're there and – some of them are minor, but some of them are ones that they're there on purpose. They can't just be over science. Mark Frost knows the material, even if he hates things that happened in season two. Some of them are huge changing who wins Miss Twin Peaks. Thinking about all those and then hearing Audrey say that she doesn't feel like herself. We're not in the Twin Peaks that we know that when there's a reason that this season has been tonally so different and that we are seeing across, particularly the last few episodes, even just random people within the town, the the kid with the gun, the woman in the car behind them, every, everybody, no one's right. And Audrey saying that kind of just made me feel more like, okay, is this the track that we're going down that they are pointing out that we aren't in this space that we think we are, mm. but... I don't know. It's just those discrepancies. I can't stop thinking about them.
1: The other thing I was thinking about is that Audrey not being quite herself and quite vociferously voicing the fact that she doesn't feel like herself, that she doesn't know who she is, it very much mirrors everything that we've been going through with Dougie Coop as well, Mm. where we're dealing with a person who he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't even know where he is or what Mm. he is or anything like that. So (laughs) we are dealing with a lot of characters who are just feeling displaced and not feeling right and not knowing who they are or that they weren't who they were supposed to be. There is the idea that if
2: the worst theory happened, you know, because Richard Horn clearly, he's not okay. Mm. He's clearly very, quite evil. And if he is um, Doppelcoop's son, then he's clearly taken after his father. And so if Audrey, like what the having a son like that, or what kind of, it's a horrible way to put it, but what kind of being the vessel in the middle of, bob through um double Coop being able to then procreate and put something else evil into the world what well, that's done to audrey mm. you know whether that's part of the trauma and what's put her in this state if that's how all the pieces come together
0: yeah i mean it's interesting how what the town makes of this as well because if it's they kind of it isn't common knowledge that cooper is responsible for richard horn then because people talk about cooper fondly mm-hmm. they don't talk about him as that evil guy yes. who yeah. who raped Audrey, then set fire to Major yeah. Bridges' thing and left and town. and
2: people, if it was known, when Ben Horn got the key back we would have seen something in that. He's not going to fondly remember, you know, getting the key back and saying, this is the room that a- I think this is agent Cooper's room. If he thinks that this is also the man that raped his daughter and when she was in a coma and now he has this horrible grandson.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's still not locked in. I think it, there is still, mm. there's still potential for the other, another uh, storyline. Let's,
1: let's not go there Lynch. Let's not go there, <laughs> please. There's um, so many other things you could do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So there's some other interesting things in this conversation as well. Um, Charlie, helped me. It's like Ghostwood here.
1: Yes. Mm.
0: So, I don't know. So Ghostwood, development was the reason that she is in a coma. The Ghostwood estate could be where Sylvia lives um, because yes. it could Good be point. referred to the forest that Charlie was talking about last time. So, again, it's just a fascinating turn of phrase and it's loaded uh part 14 with potential for <laughs> further mystery. Um, also, did you notice when she moved to sit down in the green chair her reflection? in the window no. behind Charlie. Okay, cause, so this is what I think is the explainer as to why she's in Twin Peaks and is not in a coma. The reflection is moving differently to Audrey. Oh. So if you go back and watch, Audrey is extremely agitated. She's moving a lot. Her reflection mm-hmm. is pretty much still. Mm-hmm. And it's just like right behind Charlie. The framing is gorgeous. Like Charlie's head takes up you know the bottom third and then and she's kind of sitting with, with her hand on the arm of the chair. And occasionally, when she asks a question, she'll turn her head quizzically. It's, it's very strange and, ob- and d- definitely deliberate. It's not like a, a glitch, I don't think. Mm-hmm. As we'll see with the final scene, reflections are playing a very, very key role in, in this particular part. And then, so the other scene ends with Audrey extremely agitated and upset and unable to decide whether she wants to go or stay. She wants to be in two places at once. This further splitting in case there wasn't explored enough. And we go to J.R. Star, the Roadhouse announcer.
1: His name, that's
0: yes, excellent. That's the actor's name. The Roadhouse <laughs> is proud to welcome, and I was about to go Eddie Vedder. Finally, oh, look, yeah. Look, we're,
2: we're all like I'm just waiting for him to be on the stage or waiting for him to be Bob. Um, <laughs> yes. just, it's just it's one of those two things. He'll probably just show up and have one line and be in neither of those things. And we'll go, okay, we'll order waiting
1: a cup of coffee at the double R yeah. or something. Yeah, cherry pie. Yeah. Um, but yes, James. <laughs>
0: James Hurley. James. I know, so how, what were your reactions to this?
1: Look, I screamed,
2: <laughs> which I, I'm known to do quite a lot even <laughs> when I'm watching it by myself uh, because I, I did it when Big Ed was mm. on screen as well. Same. But yeah. it was just, you know, James singing that song, which... I can oh. remember across the years, you know, that song hasn't been remembered fondly. <laughs> um, you know, Lynch hasn't been remembered fondly for his songwriting abilities is, and his <laughs> lyrics for that. But, gosh, that scene is a lovely scene.
0: Yeah. It was such a fascinating mix of emotions yes. I think everybody got from that.
1: Considering we'd had such an enormous gap since we last saw James yes. as well, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of feeling at this point in time we might not get terribly... Much else about him, Love unless it. we have a giant info dump. Episode fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> we
2: saw that James is cool, though. Yeah, oh. we so, did. Or we know we
0: were told. Yes. We were told. Well, we
2: told. No, but I mean, we, we were previously told, and now he's on stage at the Roadhouse. Yeah, cool. rocking out with a couple we've, of backing we've, vocalists, we've an, an invisible band. We know that he's cool.
0: Yeah, and a girl who is clearly extremely moved by these Renee.
2: performance Renee. So, right, yes. oh, look, this is the, my other Donna connection in that the way that Renee looks at James is uncannily like the way that. Donna would look at him. Like, I just felt as though, you know, you could put scenes of the two of them side by side, which I have not done, but in my mind it's just so similar to the way they looked at him that, you know, it was so moving to see mm. someone else react to James like that and particularly to have a character to be able to do it when, you know, for numerous reasons Donna isn't part of the story anymore. Yeah, mm. yeah.
1: I particularly, yeah, the, the, the Donna parallel I think is very apt, particularly because she starts crying towards yes. the end of the performance and we all know what Donna was renowned for. <laughs> yes. Oh, so. yes. But even, you know, the, the look of the actress, you know,
2: dark mm. hair
1: and then kind of wavy
2: and it was just so set up for you to to make that connection. Mm.
0: And she's by herself, so which makes me think she was with James. I, I think I'd only ever seen her as Vanessa in Gossip Girl before.
2: Yes, yeah, she's been she'd been a few other things. Yeah. But I couldn't tell you what they are off the top of my head because there's
0: nothing huge. Or She's very good at crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and also she has interesting tattoos.
1: Mm, I yes. well. Which I
0: did some research on, and they they have her own tattoos. Um, Seven six six three is her grandparents' wedding anniversary. Okay. Mm. And the blue rose is is a coincidence, I think. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, but I did love also that we got uh, James miming, we got uh, an, the invisible band like we did the first time around and it's at least this time we had a lead and an amp, and it was a slightly updated version of the guitar. I noticed, um, yeah, the uh, tremolo arm was different. Anyway. So a lot of people thought, oh, yeah, tr- so we finished there. It's the Roadhouse. But we didn't get a starring Carl And We got Big Ed's Gas Farm. Mm. We did. Yes. In a very, 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 the, the scariest scene that I've s- since Maddie's death for me, actually, this particular. Really? Uh, yeah. It was, was terrifying. Possibly because I was watching it alone at two in the morning. Oh, and there was this the reflection, mm-hmm. which we're going to get to. Oh, came from nowhere. So Ed is um, sipping soup, I think. People are going, oh, yes. my God, is it gumbozier? No, it's just, I think it's pumpkin
1: no, soup. Yeah. yeah.
0: like soup. When do you think this is taking place? Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, your
1: guess is as I'm, good as mine.
0: Yeah, because I was like, okay, so it's the, you know he's not at the roadhouse, obviously. Um, so he's there's a giant bear head on the table with a top,
2: bear with folksy us. gag. Mm.
0: Yep. Um, he was watching the forecourt very carefully. Um, the gas pumps and stuff were there. I, w- I visited this location at the festival last year, and it looks quite different. Okay. This looks very much like it's been made to look like the convenience store from the that we saw in part eight. Um. Although, again, maybe it's just a throwback. It's not a direct reference. Um, then he sets fire to a small piece of paper, which I think is the front of the matchbook. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of supposition that we're seeing a scene from a few days' time and he's burning the coordinates or he's burning some sort of very important piece of information or maybe a note he was going to give to Norma. But as far as I can tell, we didn't see any writing on there. It just looks like the matchbook mm-hmm. to me. Then he, the cars pass outside and then we get a doubling of one of the cars, this ex- ex- exact same sound i think and this could also i was thinking be the beginning of the scene the when deputy jesse turns up after the shots have been fired into the double r and he says i heard shots fired from big ed's gas farm Mm -hmm. because uh at the moment this scene's just kind of lingering by itself and it could really fit into all sorts of different places so um what did you guys make of the glitch slash reflection have you seen this
1: no, I didn't even catch it. Okay. Clearly clearly was not observable. No, I've lined up here because Jesus. I was
0: I was thinking this is like something that a lot of people, you have to be like really, really watch carefully. I can put a link to this in the show notes as well. Eddie's sitting by himself. He's drinking the soup. He's being very, very thoughtful. Then he looks out. We get a shot of over his shoulder into the forecourt. And if you watch here, you can see a reflection of him moving very, very quickly and as like a jump cut. So he's sitting here still. That's moving. Hmm. And he seems to either see this, and he's knowing that something's wrong. And this is like make, playing into my theory that, along with the end of part seven, where we got the switch of the diner patrons, we got uh, the Audrey's reflections before we get this reflection now. That there is these aren't accidents; these aren't continuity errors. I think there's something much more sinister at work here, and I think it plays into. a the idea of the time frames being thrown around. That there's not necessarily multiple Twin Peaks, but there is uh, a mal- maleficent influence that is coming.
1: Fractured Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Fractured
0: Twin Peaks. That's a great way of putting it, yes. Um, which brings us quite handily to um, the theory fish that I've got for this week. Um, <laughs> now, for those who aren't familiar, theory fish is the section of the show where we bring up a theory that I've come across in the last 24 hours, and I throw it to you guys to determine whether it's fresh, I caught a trout in my pyjamas, stinks, there's a fish in the percolator, or keep fishing with a green-butt skunk lure. Today's theory fish comes from friend of the show and guest for our discussion of part three, Donovan Wren. Or was it part two? I think it was part two. Donovan Wren. So Donovan says, characters are experiencing time in a normal, linear way, but Lynch is showing it to us in a non-linear way. We are being shown it like this not to trick us, but because the characters are experiencing it truthfully in a non-linear, inconsistent, baffling way. Twin Peaks is trapped in broken time, which is another way of saying fractured peaks, I guess. There will be an explanation for these time rifts, um, a gateway or something, but it will come as as an in-story explanation. It's not just Lynch messing with our minds. The only person who is aware of these time rifts is Sarah Palmer, hence her freak out at the supermarket over the beef jerky, when she was talking about, is it new, Mm -hmm. and expecting Victoria to be a witness. Um, She's repeatedly checking her near-empty liquor bottles, not because she's drunk, but because it's signifying that these bottles are suddenly nearly empty due to time rifts. This this is not memento. We're not being shown scenes in backwards chronological order, which is what I was thinking. We're seeing time subjectively as they are almost slowly imperceptibly beginning to realise.
1: Well, I don't know if I can really, really comment considering I missed all of these during <laughs> the actual episode. So I don't know if they're actually happening in an obvious enough way for most viewers to catch on to them. If mm, we're cause... assuming that most viewers are as, you know... Well, Inattentive as me. Yeah, well, this is the thing.
0: Is that it's only become more recent in the last few weeks. It's not something that was happening so much towards the beginning. The longer we've been in Twin Peaks, the more we've been getting this played around um, narratives. So you're going to sit on the green-butt skunk lure? Yeah,
1: I'll sit in the middle. Like, I, I think it sounds like a fabulous idea. I'd love it if they were playing really obviously with time in a lot of different ways because I think they are definitely already playing with time. I just don't know whether there's a multiple levels of things going on, multiple Twin Peaks as multiple universes. That would be neat, though. I'd be into it. What do you
0: make of this?
2: Look, I think that this fits in quite nicely to my issues with the discrepancies in the book and how, you know, the fact that things are fractured and there are we are seeing multiple things going on at the same time, within Twin Peaks, we we do know multiple versions of events for some things that are part of Twin Peaks canon. We've seen them, we've 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 read them. But yeah, this works for me.
0: Yeah, same. I think it may be something to do with the coordinates that mm-hmm. we've been given. Jackrabbit's yeah. Palace. There is a potential vortex of some sort over there. Or maybe even it's the thing that that Hawk found earlier. I think in part four or five when he was walking through and he sees the opening to the waiting room. Mm.
1: Well, it would make sense considering that Twin Peaks is located so close to the Black Lodge and has always had these weird kind of rifts in space-time occurring quite close to it. And considering the entirety of The Return has been all about showing her how far into the world these cracks have kind of spread, it would make so much more sense that the epicentre of it in, of Twin Peaks is massively rupturing in a lot of different ways that might only be perceptive out the corner of your eye. Mm. That's yeah. the thing. I think we're seeing the
2: obvious stuff. We're seeing that people going crazy. We're seeing, you know, particularly the kids. Mm. You know, it seems everybody who's a bit older and has been there and kind of lived through this, other than Sarah Palmer, seems to be weathering it a bit better. But, you know, kids, Becky, everybody, you know, of a certain age seems to be freaking out. But... There's got to be, you know, more to it. There's, And Lynch doesn't do anything by accident. Yeah, there's, there's absolutely. absolutely yeah. You know, there's nothing that he puts in these frames that isn't meticulously planned.
0: Yeah, I also think this is a really beautiful balance of Frost's interests, which is with conspiracies and social mm-hmm. commentary and Lynch's exploration of human nature Mm -hmm. and identity and all that sort of stuff. So I think to have this sort of metaphysical explanation as well as this literal look at the economic circumstances of these people, look how the young people are being corrupted by drugs and by the economic situation that they're being brought up in. And Lynch is examining, you know, did somebody like Richard Horn be born bad from, you know, Denison of the Black Lodge impregnating, you know, a person or is he made bad by having sparkle and by being – Badly parented. You've got these beautiful dual ways of reading things, which is the same as you could get with Laura. Mm-hmm. So I love this idea that this is tying into the Pro- Project Blue Book, which is you know Briggs's station, which is right near this rift, which is probably going to be tied into the stuff we saw in Part Eight, which is you know this one particular geographical point which everybody has to get to within the next five hours of showtime. This is why we keep getting this lore of Jack Rabbit's Palace. Like it's going to happen in two days. It's going to happen in one day. It's going to mm-hmm. no, it's happening in two days again. It's, <laughs> but I also think it's a really fascinating way to express. What that would be like to live near something like that, where the time would start moving around and you would not have a way of explaining it. So, yeah, I'd love this. And I haven't seen anybody else come up with this yet, although I haven't, you know, been... As you might have noticed... Have
1: you gone down to the depths of Reddit yet? No,
0: I haven't, because as anybody who's following us noticed, I posted the wrong podcast um, at two in the morning. (gasps) Whoops. And I apologise for those 600 people (laughs) who started listening to it thinking that we were going to get a (laughs) very... If you do
1: want to listen to Andy's other podcast, though, you've had a taste now. It's really good. You should do it.
0: (laughs) And those listeners who are in Melbourne will know some of our thoughts about the films showing at the Melbourne International Film Festival. I apologise again for this um, oversight and running two podcasts at the same time. <laughs>
1: no, you're a Superman. <laughs> and <It's> posting <laughs> them at 2 and 3 in the
0: morning is sometimes going to have consequences like this. Anyway, so that brings us to the end of part 13. Does anyone else have any um, other theories? Oh, actually, there is a t- another tiny little theory <gasps> fish that I can Small throw fish. in. Small
1: fish. It's a minnow. Okay. It's a minnow theory.
0: Okay. Dr. Amp, does he have a purpose larger than just commenting on uh, social affairs? Will Woodsman use Dr. Amp as a means to brainwash the town? They did it mm. back in 1956 yes. with a radio station. Yes. Will they use YouTube and um, Doctor and,
2: and, and not just the town, but then clearly, you know, everywhere, the, the
1: world, anyone that's the yeah.
2: world. Like, Who mm.
1: knows how many people mm. are actually listening to Doctor Amp? Like we've only seen Nadine and Jerry, but who's to say there aren't a lot of people? He's making a living
0: somehow up there. He can buy shovels, have yes. them delivered. I can't imagine he would have that many savings 25 years after being deprived of his licence to act mm. as a psychiatrist in Twin weeks, which mm. doesn't seem like that profitable. No. Or no. I'm be into better. it. I'm yeah. into okay.
1: it. I like
0: it
2: too. Really? Yeah.
0: Everybody's fine. Okay. So that's a quarter trad-, trad in my pyjamas. Did not expect that? But cool. I like the way we w- we're working thank you very much for listening to the end of our discussion of part 13 of Twin Peaks I'm Andy Hazel and you can find me on Twitter at Andy Ricky you can follow the show at TP season 3 on Facebook or Twitter and if you want to communicate with uh, our um, extraordinarily awesome guest Sarah Ward or Haley or myself you can email us at tpseason 3 podcast at Yes.
1: and the best thing is you don't just get Sarah on this episode you'll be getting her next episode as well because we're taking full advantage of her trip to Melbourne yeah and Look, spoiler alert,
2: given that I don't know if you, either of you are seeing this uh, in the festival programme, but given that there is a film in the festival programme that has both David Lynch and Harry Dean Stanton in it, I'm going to find a way to bring that into the conversation. Once Great, I've seen please
0: it. do. <laughs> looking forward to that. That film is called Lucky, I believe. It
2: is called Lucky, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing it tomorrow. Yay. Great.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Right, and the sun is shining bright.